0: China is the world's largest fintech market, but at the moment its major players, think Alipay and Tencent, remain pretty closed off from the rest of the world. Here to talk about this and what the future may hold for Chinese fintech is Martin Chorizempa, research fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. Can you start by explaining the basics of FinTech and sort of demystify it for our audience? Because I think a lot of people first think of QR codes, but it's a lot more than that.
1: Absolutely. So QR codes are the the basis for much of what happened later. Uh, what's really interesting is that uh, American companies were actually ahead of the Chinese companies around 2013. You know, Google Wallet had launched, Apple Pay had launched, but they were based on this technology called near-field communications where you hold up the phone near this reader and then that Uh, allows you to initiate a payment. The problem there was that you had to deal with the telecommunications companies who wanted to control that payment information. The handset manufacturers also wanted to control that information. People like Apple didn't want to give others access to NFC. Uh, But Alipay decided to go a different way when it launched its wallet later. It was based on the QR code which allowed it only had you only had to access the camera and the screen and then anybody without any expensive POS machine could set up mobile payments once mobile payments became uh, everywhere in China which happened around 20 between 2013 and 2015 then all sorts of other companies could build on top of it when you have a lot of payments data you can better estimate someone's creditworthiness so Alibaba and other Chinese companies have now issued hundreds of billions of renminbi in loans to both small businesses that sell on their platforms, and again, they can track all the payments that go in and out, so they know if you stop getting orders and then can cut off your credit. Same as for individuals. That's one side. So you have credit scoring and credit provision. It's also in insurance. There's a joint venture between China's one of China's largest insurance companies, Tencent and Alibaba, to, uh, to offer insurance. And, um, and also, I would say, sorry, so peer-to-peer lending is another one which is much more controversial. Uh, a whole ecosystem of online wealth management and lending companies were built up that uh, were pretty much totally unregulated by the government. And some of these were just local loan sharks and fraudsters who decided to launch a website and say, we'll give you 20% returns a year and a big bonus if you invest with us and we have great risk management. And then the next day the website's down and the money has disappeared, gone off uh, somewhere else in China. So it's it's quite a, it's, it's kind of like a wild west, or it was until 2016 when the Chinese government decided to clamp down.
0: So how do traditional financial services providers view FinTech? Do they see it as disruptive or an opportunity?
1: Uh, first they saw it as an opportunity and then they became very scared. So up until, mid-2013, the banks looked at things like Alipay and said, this is great, e-commerce is creating a large volume of transactions, and we can harvest those transactions fees. In addition to getting the transaction fees, Alipay would park that money in the banks as deposits. So they said, we get deposits and fees, that's all that we need, everything's great. But then in mid-2013, at the moment when there was a bit of a crunch for funding for banks, Alipay was suddenly uh, siphoning off hundreds of billions of B in deposits from the banks that people were depositing in this Yubao money market fund. And that's when they first realized that fintech could be a threat to them. And uh, what's happened after that is that in the short term, the fintech companies won. They were able to actually circumvent some regulations from the central bank that would have stopped them from competing with banks because they'd amassed a large amount of political power. But in the long run, what's happening is they're being forced into these relationships where they are providing, say, cloud infrastructure, using their data as the basis for bank loans and other ways of working together. Uh, because it's no longer politically feasible. Maybe it would be you know, in a market sense feasible, but it's no longer politically feasible for them to disrupt the core of the financial system, which is still run by the state.
0: So at this point, Chinese FinTech is still quite closed off. I mean, I remember having to have a Chinese bank account in order to use WeChat Pay. Um, are there any plans for the model to expand elsewhere?
1: The model is already expanding elsewhere in a big way. The latest numbers I've seen is that 49 countries and regions, that means they're counting Taiwan, Macau, that kind of thing, uh, are accepting Alipay and WeChat Pay transactions. You might not know it, but in most Walgreens stores in the United States, you could walk in and uh, scan a QR code with Alipay to pay for it and uh, there's that's only one side of it that's the payments acceptance i look at that as an expansion of serving the domestic market chinese are going abroad Mm -hmm. so if they want to keep using their super apps instead of having to use these clunky plastic cards (laughs) going back in the dark ages uh, they the retailers in these countries want to accept alipay the other side of this of course is the actual expansion of the model to other places and serving customers who are citizens of other countries. That is occurring in a big way. Uh, Tencent has been expanding in South Africa and India and also Southeast Asia. So has Alibaba and and, and their financial arm. Ant Financial has invested hundreds of millions, uh, I'd say it's into the billions now, into payments companies elsewhere. And they're trying to get them to replicate this super app model where you don't only have a payments app, but you also include e-commerce and mobility and just about everything else in one so that you never have to go anywhere else. It's not clear yet how successful they will be. Uh, WeChat, for example, in India has had some difficulties, and the company that they invested in actually recently split up their super app and said, this is not working for this market, we have to split it into into separate ones. So this is gonna be one of the most interesting things to watch, is especially Southeast Asia as a battleground between American payment companies and Chinese FinTech companies which are trying to capture these fast-growing new markets.
0: Um, why is it that we don't have an Alipay or a WeChat in the U.S.? No.
1: Well, the main reason we don't have an Alipay or a WeChat Pay in the U.S. is that we have these long-standing rules against non-commercial firms entering banking and that has meant that generally our tech giants have avoided until the launch of uh, the proposed launch of Libra this this had not occurred that big companies really entered finance and when they did they generally just partnered with the banks so we know of some big E-commerce companies that just partnered with big banks to issue credit cards, it's kind of an old way of doing it that didn't disrupt the rails. What's interesting is when e-commerce was beginning in China, they couldn't do what e-commerce companies did in the United States, which is just find a way to accept credit cards because pretty much everyone has a credit card. In China in the early 2000s, virtually nobody had a credit card and less people had debit cards that meant they had to actually build their own systems. These tech companies had to build their own payment systems to be able to route payments between cities and between banks. And that became the basis for them becoming financial giants. The becoming financial giants only really happened starting around 2013. And that's when the Chinese government decided to explicitly permit them to enter insurance, banking, credit scoring, and other areas. That's something that the, in the US has been bogged down and generally we've seen with the reaction to Libra there's a lot of, spec, of uh, skepticism from regulators that allowing these firms to enter is a good idea. In China uh, the regulators are already really grappling with these ideas around monopoly because on the one hand tech companies entering finance allows you to inject a lot more competition between banks that have often been protected from competition be- because of a lot of regulation. But then, dynamically, if you think long term, if they're able to gather advantages in both the data and tech side and the access to capital and financial side, then th- it might be impossible for a pure financial or a pure technology company ever to compete with them. And that's a potentially dangerous scenario where you have too little competition.
0: So at this point if a foreign company wants to participate in the Chinese fintech market does it have to it has to partner with one of the main Chinese providers?
1: Generally that's true, uh, I would say. So uh, one just this week we got news that the first American payments company has been given a license to operate in China. Some of the American credit card companies are either in the middle of the process or waiting to begin the process to get a license. And China was supposed to open this up to uh, open up all of their domestic Mm -hmm. financial services markets to all domestic clients, all renminbi business, by December of 2006. And if you read the US Trade Representative's reports every year after 2006, they seem more and more frustrated because negotiations weren't going anywhere. And that raises some interesting questions. Should these companies be allowed to expand abroad in the way that they are without any restriction when their domestic market was protected? And something else on that is that it's not just foreign companies that have to find generally a local Chinese partner. Chinese companies are now in this situation where the dominance of Alibaba and Tencent with their uh, billion uh, active users each is that It's extremely difficult to have the kind of organic growth yourself and extremely expensive to acquire users compared to these companies that can push your product to all of their users without even updating the app. There are these things called mini programs which allow you to build on top of these giant super apps and immediately serve them. One company that's interesting to look at is Chudian, which is like a high interest, payday loan kind of provider. They partnered with Alipay so that people could get loans in the Alipay app through them and became a billion-dollar company in almost the blink of an eye. It was so fast that the regulators got worried about it and ended up cracking down. But what's happening now is companies in China have to generally choose between the WeChat orbit or the Alipay orbit. And the investors in these companies, similarly, are often told, if you invest in in the Alipay side. You can't invest in companies on the Tencent side and vice versa because of their market power.
0: I'm just gonna wrap it up with this one question. What is one part of FinTech that we should be watching more closely?
1: More closely? Uh, I would say the, the most important is the expansion abroad. Uh, China is in many ways unique. I'd say China and Kenya together are unique in their penetration of mobile payments, it's higher than anywhere else, and to great extent, some of the excitement that was around M-Pesa, that uh, mobile payments were going to sweep all of the developing world and emerging markets and then provide this basis for this technological leapfrogging, hasn't really occurred anywhere except there in China, and to some extent now India. So the interesting thing to watch will be, will countries in Southeast Asia follow the Chinese model? Or will they try to follow a more traditional development model, maybe based on cards and and other things?
0: The China Business Review podcast is a production of the U.S.-China Business Council. You can learn more about what we do at uschina.org. Now, the podcast accompanies a series of articles on similar topics from thought leaders on chinabusinessreview.com. Our music is by Ryan Anderson. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a rating and review so that others can find us, and we'll be back soon.